You're listening to Love, Maine Radio with Dr. Lisa Belial, recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Dr. Lisa Belial is a physician trained in family and preventative medicine, acupuncture, and public health. She offers medical care and acupuncture at Brunswick Family Medicine. Read more about her integrative approach to wellness in Maine Magazine. Love, Maine Radio is available for download free on iTunes. See the Love Maine Radio Facebook page or www.lovemainradio.com for details. Now here are a few highlights from this week's program. Trying to get as many colors on your plate as possible and sort of making it a rainbow. So that's what I did in my dish, is try to get as many colors as I could. And that healthy isn't always sacrificing taste. And that us kids can be a good role model to older people and younger people if we will take the time. So now it's definitely a big part of my life, just showing people that I care, that I'm there for them, and that I'm here to listen. And I understand what some of them are going through. It's just a really, really great feeling when you know that you've impacted someone's life in the most positive way and that you can make them smile and you can make their day better. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you're listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 179, Young Maine Voices airing for the first time on Sunday, February 15th, 2015. When it comes to having a voice, age is relative. It matters less how old we are than how willing we are to share our story and our convictions. Today we speak with 13-year-old Sienna Mazzoni about her ideas regarding the importance of vegetarian eating, which won her a trip to the White House to meet the President and First Lady. We also have an uplifting conversation about overcoming depression with Cape Elizabeth High School senior Hunter Kent. Thank you for joining us. Today in the Love Main Radio studio, we have with us an individual who shares my love of healthy food. I'm very happy to have Sienna Mazzoni, who is a 13-year-old from Dresden, Maine. She was one of 54 children who won the Healthy Lunchtime Challenge, a national youth recipe competition to promote healthy lunches as part of First Lady Michelle Obama's Let's Move initiative. She created the Mexican Haystack, a dish that includes an avocado, sweet potato, chili pepper, and tortilla shells. Thanks so much for coming in, Sienna. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Sienna, you have been, um, well, you've been on the media circuit. You've I become am. a celebrity. <laughs> thank you. Yes. When you created this recipe, did you think this would happen? Um, I knew if I won, I would definitely be in a couple um, newspapers and magazines, but I didn't really anticipate going this far. <laughs> and you got to meet the first lady. And president, yes. And president. So what got you interested in creating this recipe? Why do you care so much about healthy food? Well, um, my mom is a fitness trainer and has always been very healthy. And my dad is a doctor and promotes health. So I've always lived a healthy lifestyle. And um, I've always loved cooking. It's just been one of my passions. And um, I think it was 2011 
my aunt from Colorado sent me an article from her newspaper um, with Michelle Obama's Healthy Lunchtime Challenge. And so she wanted me to enter really bad. And so I thought about it. And I was a semi-finalist last year. I'm sorry, 2013. And then 2014, I entered again and won. So what did you enter in 2013? What was your recipe that year? I did a veggie burger and a um, fruit salad. How long have you lived in Maine? Um, all my life. So you were born here? I was born at Maine Medical Center in Portland. And your dad is a family doctor, I think, up in Lewiston. Is that right? Yeah, at Central Maine Medical Center. Central Maine Medical Center. So it sounds like you've just, it's just in your blood. It's You're, just there. It's just there. <laughs> yeah. um, why has it been important to your parents for you to um, be so interested in eating fruits and vegetables, for example? Well, not really that they wanted me to. They have, but I've also had an interest. I um also garden with a couple of friends and so um, I can salsas and pickles and things like that so I've just always been there. It's always been there. It's always been there. Well my daughter is 13 also she's almost 14 and she likes food but she tends to cook things more like bake. She likes mm -hmm. to bake right. um, cookies and yeah. pies and cakes and things like that. Do you like to do that too? Yes. I like anything to do with the kitchen. With the kitchen. <laughs> and food, yes. So tell me some of your favorite things to cook besides your besides your Mexican haystack. There must be lots of other things that you like yeah. to cook. Um, with Dr. Tim Howe um, at his house, he has a, um, in a pizza oven, and we would always make pizzas with him and so I enjoy making pizzas and seeing how many vegetables I can fit onto one pizza which is it which is really cool and I like to bake pies and things so pretty much anything I'm not picky <laughs> so and do you like to share your food with other people oh love to yes so when you cook something um is it something you'll sit down and eat with your family absolutely yeah what are their favorite things that you make uh, I do a lot of salads, different kinds of salads, and they love salads. Um, and like casseroles or different things like that, so yeah. We've had Dr. Howe on the radio show, and he's talked about um, how he eats basically it's a meat-free diet. Right, right. Is that something that you believe in, too? I do, yes. And is this something that you've always done? It's something most of my life I've done, yeah. So why is it important to you to limit or not eat meat at all? Is this something that, well, just tell me, why is that so important? Well, um, I researched with my dad some of the antibiotics and things that can be put into meat, and that sort of scared me, and um, it wasn't something that we've always had in our diet. So I am a very original. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Just, it's not necessarily something I'm terribly interested in. So it just, just kind of fell off your radar screen. Right, yeah. What is it like to be someone who doesn't eat meat in a world where a lot of people eat meat, where you go to a restaurant and most of the things on the menu are have meat in them? Um, That's when I ask and say, can I 
have this without the meat added or can I just have this pasta instead of with pork and sauce just regular marinara sauce so or that or I'll just have salads so it's not been terribly hard to be a vegetarian plus um most of my friends are all vegetarian and we'll get together and, and cook just simple vegetarian things and you're homeschooled I am homeschooled so talk to me about that. Tell me about a typical day for you. Um, I wake up around 6.30, 7. Um, we'll have breakfast, and I play violin. I study with Mari Black down in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So I'll practice for an hour and a half every day and then do my morning subjects, which include like math, reading, science, grammar, and then I'll have lunch, and I'll do silent reading for half an hour to an hour. And then I have some time to either clean my room or go outside or meet ice skate with some friends down the road. And then after that, I'll finish up whatever schoolwork needs to be done before chores and supper. So. Now, sometimes when we think about people who are homeschooled, we... Um we think of it as more of a, a solitary thing mm-hmm. where you're by yourself a lot. And I know you have a little brother, so obviously he's around. But it sounds like you have a lot of friends. I do have a lot of friends. I'm doing tennis. I go down to Boston every week with um, friends. And so it's not like I'm shut up. Um, and every Saturday I have a group that we all play at church. So that's nice. Um out almost every day so doing something with friends so yeah are a lot of these people also homeschooled they are most of them are um we'll do homeschool groups sometimes or get together after school hours with my friends that do go to school so yeah so you have some sort of a structure to your day the way that anybody would going to public school oh yeah um and you do a lot of the same subjects that people do. Oh, absolutely. And you also have the chance to focus on things that you enjoy. Right. So what are some of your favorite subjects? You talk about violin. What yeah. other things do you like to do? Um, besides cooking, I love to read. Um, I could just sit and read all day. Um, I have a huge passion for animals. Um, we have a cat, and so I'll spend time with the cat. Um or we used to uh, help a friend take care of a horse, and that was really awesome. So anything to do with animals. I love being outside, so ice skating, sledding. In the winter, I also love to swim. So we live right by um, a river, the Kennebec River. So we'll swim sometimes in there. It's not the cleanest place in our swim, but um, yeah, so... Those are some of the things I enjoy. So what do you like to read? What are some of your favorite books? I love mystery books. Uh, I'll read those or um, books about people that have an interest to me and things like that. So, yeah. Have you read any recently that are especially good? Uh, I read a book on Louis Zamperini, which was really amazing. Here on Love, Maine Radio, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. 
Wouldn't it be great if we could spend our days doing all the things we dreamed of while gazing up at the stars on a crystal clear night? Yet for most people, and I include myself in that group, the realities of daily living prevent it from happening. We all have responsibilities to our employers, our families, people who rely on us to be there for them. But what if you could get to a place where you're able to reinvent yourself and start a new journey that was more fulfilling? What if you could define what true north meant and find your star and start walking towards it? What if you had the money to embark on a second life because financial worry had fallen off your radar? This, my friends, is what I call the seventh state of your financial evolution. And while I'm certainly not there yet, I'm here to help you get there. It's time to evolve. Get in touch with Shepherd Financial and we'll help you evolve with your money. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. Love Main Radio was brought to you by Bangor Savings Bank. For over 150 years, Bangor Savings has believed in the innate ability of the people of Maine to achieve their goals and dreams. Whether it's personal finance, business banking, or wealth management assistance you're looking for, at Bangor Savings Bank, you matter more. For more information, visit www.bangor.com. Tell me about this animal piece. You have a cat that you love. You have a horse that you help take care of. Why do you like animals so much? I don't remember. I think it was 10, 9 or 10. Um, my best friend and I we had decided we wanted to um, ride a horse together because they had just gotten horses. And so we took care of the horse. Um, her name was Honey. And so we took care of Honey. And then we both tried to get on Honey and... It was amazing. It's like you're not doing anything. You're just sitting there on an animal, and the animal's running and jumping, and but it's not like overwhelming. It was it was really cool. And after that, I really um, took in the animals. I also had a, had a dog that um, she was an Airedale Terrier, just amazing dog. Um, would cuddle with me and loved food and so just I don't know like best buds sort of so yeah so it sounds like you've made friends with these animals I have in a way yeah, yeah. tell me about some of your experiences as as, uh, as a result of um, the Mexican haystack and entering this let's move initiative with Michelle Obama well I was working with chef Shannon Bard here at Zapoteca in Portland, and um, we did a series of demonstrations. I think we did six or seven just around Portland. We did some at Parkview Hospital in Brunswick, where we would present my dish, and I got very good feedback of how they liked the beans and the sweet potato going together, how originally people wouldn't think of a sweet potato and beans really together, but I put them together, and I got feedback that people really liked the flavors blending together. So the whole dish sort of all had flavors that I love, and so I put them together, and people seem seem to like that. So when people hear about 
the Mexican haystack or the demonstrations that you've been doing or um, all of the conversations that you've had. Um, I think you've had interviews with newspapers yeah. and you've been covered, I think, um, on television. So what are you hoping that people will learn from the Mexican haystack or um, what, what are you put it, hoping to inspire people to do? Um, most people think that to, in order to be healthy, you sacrifice taste. And I'm trying to let people know that this dish is vegetarian and it still tastes amazing. And you don't need all this extra meat and unhealthy oils and fat and everything to make a, a dish taste good. It also sounds like one of the messages is that it's a it's a it's a nice thing to be able to eat together as a family and to enjoy healthy food together as a family. It has, yeah. It's it's nice. My dad is obviously very busy, so it's usually just mom and uh, my brother and I. But I have friends over and um, we'll time each other to create something wacky and and taste good at the same time. <laughs> Well, I'm interested in this next question because I have never had the chance to really ask my own kids this because I'm a family doctor and my kids were, they grew up when I was going through residency training just like your dad. And um, what is it like to have a dad who is a doctor who's out taking care of patients and maybe isn't as home as much? But how do you feel about that? Um, It's nice in the way that I know he's doing something he loves and it's nice to know um, if I fall and break something, he can sort of fix it. <laughs> so that's it's nice. Um, my dad, um, before going to medical school, was a pilot for American Airlines. And that was very different from being away a lot. Um, he would fly for three or four days and then be home for the equal amount of time. And now he's working, I think, it's like five days a week, and then home, maybe a day and a half, unless vacation. So it's not the easiest thing or the easiest job, but he likes it, and I think that's good. So you support him because you know he's doing something that's important to him yeah. and that he likes. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like your parents do the same thing for you and your brother. They do. Well, Sienna, do you have anything that you would like to tell the people who listen to Love Main Radio about eating healthy or things that they can do to incorporate vegetables into their diets? Um, well, with my presentations with Shannon Bard, we were talking about um, trying to get as many colors on your plate as possible and sort of making it a rainbow. So that's what I did in my dish, is try to get as many colors as I could. And that healthy isn't always sacrificing taste and that us kids can be a good role model to older people and younger people if we will take the time. I think that's a very important point is that when you, by the time you get to be your age or even when you're younger, you can help out in the kitchen, you can help make things, um, you can learn how to cook from an early age. Sounds like you can learn how to garden, you can learn how to can, all these things that you do, and then it can be a lot of fun for you and for your family. It is, yeah. Sienna, how can people find out about the Mexican haystack? How can they read about your recipe and also read about um, Michelle Obama's Let's Move initiative? You can um, 
get the cookbook for the 2014 recipes on epicurious.com and they will tell a little bit about the Let's Move initiative and then how they choose the kids to come. They had 1,500 entries um, for 2014 and then tells a little how they will narrow it down to 54 winners. So um, epicurious.com. You can get the cookbook as well. Well, I suspect that you have a very um, long and interesting life ahead of you. You already are living a very interesting oh, life. That's uh, really been a pleasure. We've been speaking with Sienna Mazzoni, who is a 13-year-old from Dresden, Maine, and one of 54 children who won the Healthy Lunchtime Challenge. Thanks so much for coming in and taking time out of your very busy schedule to oh, talk with thank us. Thank you. And um, Happy New Year. You too. Thank you. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. When was the last time you took a break from what you were doing, from the work that was piled up on your desk, and just looked up? I know that during the course of my days, I often forget to take a moment or two to just breathe, look up at the sky, and dream. Terrible that I have to remind myself to breathe, but when I do, I feel energized because in those moments, I'm able to let go of the daily grind and think more about what I want to accomplish, how I want my business to grow. Sometimes those are the aha moments. If we all took a few moments out each day to stop what we're doing and dream a little about our business futures, not only would we feel a great sense of calm, but we may come to realize that these dreams can, in fact, come true. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. BoothMaine.com This segment of Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. It's my great pleasure today to have an individual who had to actually get out of school in order to come speak with us. We have Hunter Kent, who is a senior at Cape Elizabeth High School. She recently spoke at TEDx Youth and talked about her experience with depression and the steps she took to overcome it. Thanks so much for taking the time to be in here today. I know it's a uh, it's more of an effort for you than many people, so we appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Hunter, tell me about Cape Elizabeth and your experiences there. You're a senior. It's kind of an interesting time for you, isn't it? It definitely is. Um, my experience in high school has changed every single year. I mean, when I first came into high school as a freshman, I was not in a good place, and I really didn't fit in. And I had a couple friends, but I just, I really felt like I didn't belong in there, and it was really hard for me, and sophomore year was pretty bad too, but then uh, junior year especially, I came back for that year just like a completely different person, and this year especially has been really, really amazing, and I'm making a bunch of new friends and doing new things that I never thought I'd be able to do, and my perspective on the school has definitely changed because honestly I didn't like a lot of my classmates and I really just didn't like going to school but um, I came back to school uh, junior year with definitely a more open mind and a more positive attitude and 
I realized that, sure, there are some people that I may not be best friends with, but there are a lot of really cool people in Cape Elizabeth, and you just have to find them. And that's what I've been doing, and it's been a really cool experience. You've been pretty open about your experience with depression, which is something that a lot of people... Um, don't want to talk about it. It's it's a depression is a really interesting and difficult thing. It's very very personal, and yet you were willing to get up on a stage, and tell your classmates all about your experience. And from what I understand, you got a standing ovation. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, definitely talking about depression. There's sort of a stigma about talking about mental illness. I think, especially in today's society, and people feel uncomfortable with it. They don't want to talk about it, whether they're struggling with it or they're not. And for those who aren't struggling with it, they don't they don't understand it. So it's a hard thing to talk about, but I feel like it's something that we have to talk about, especially people like me who are on the other side, who've overcome it. Because for people who are currently struggling with depression, they feel like they're not going to get better. They feel like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And you don't hear many stories about people overcoming depression, other mental illness. So I think it's really important that people speak up and say, hey, you can overcome this. You can get better. It it really is possible. It's true that if you have gone through depression, maybe you don't want to talk about it because it might bring you back to a place in your life that doesn't feel that good, that might feel kind of dark. Um, and it's also interesting because with depression and other mental illnesses, you can't see that somebody has this and you may not know that they're struggling with this. So um, for you, were you able to go about your daily life and have people not even realize that this was something that you were dealing with? Um. I think some people did know. I, I'm i a very emotional person, and I'm pretty o- I've always been pretty open about it. So I think some people did know that uh, I was going through something. I mean, for the first few years in high school, I definitely wasn't the happiest person. It was pretty noticeable. Um, I also struggled with self-harm, and that was pretty obvious, and some people did notice that. Um, but I definitely think what you said is true, that sometimes you can't tell if a person's struggling with mental illness and depression, because I've heard stories from friends and kids in my school who have struggled with depression, and I never would have expected those people in particular to be going through it. You just, you can't, you can't tell, you can't judge based on what they look like or how they act, because you really don't know what they're going through. Yeah, I think about a quote that I um, I don't know who the um, person who said it was, but just something about be kind because you never know what battles others might be fighting. And, and I think that's really true, especially in this case, because you can, you can really, to all outward appearances, seem fine. But a lot can be going on emotionally and mentally um, that other people don't recognize. Mm-hmm. I was reading... Um, something that you wrote for us. We ask all people who come in, uh, if you could go back in time 10 years, what advice would you give yourself? And of course, most people who come in are older than 17. Um, But you said, I would tell my seven-year-old self that it's okay to be shy and that someday I'll find my confidence. That's really interesting to me. Tell me a little bit more about that. Um, 
I've always been a really shy person, even when I was really little. I've always been shy and introverted and quiet. And I just kind of accepted it, but I always felt uncomfortable with it. I felt that I was different from everyone else. And I think that my anxiety played a part in me being shy um, because I've struggled with anxiety even when I was really, really little. But I thought that that was just because I was shy, but it really was another thing. But I definitely thought that being shy was a bad thing. And even uh, through middle school, the first couple years of high school, I was ashamed to be shy. And um, I just, I think that now I know that it's okay to be shy, that it balances, it balances people out. And the part about finding my confidence, I mean, I never thought that I'd be confident. I always, it was kind of a a dream. It wasn't even a goal. It was a dream for me to be confident. I just, I never thought I'd be able to achieve it. And now I'm realizing that it actually is possible. And I think at the same time, you can be shy, but you can also be confident at the same time, which is something that I'm kind of experiencing right now, and it's been really, really cool. I think you're you're kind of coming along in a good time because there has been more recognition of people who would be considered what we'll call introverts um, or shy, um, and the value that they have in a social setting. I mean, I think that what we normally expect is that people will be outgoing and they can make small talk and um, they can be energetic, but you can get a lot of great energy from being around people and maybe just be listening a lot. So that, that must feel really good that people are starting to understand that that's the case. Yeah. Well, you said just now about listening. I think that's a really important thing. Whether you're shy or not, I feel like sometimes when you're talking to someone, maybe if they're going through a hard time, if they're struggling with something, just being there to listen to them and not necessarily say anything or give advice, but just being there to listen is really important. And just, I mean, listening in general to when people are talking. Sometimes you don't have to say anything to them. You can just listen. That's true. I think that um, the gift of presence is something that is maybe underestimated. And you're right, a lot of people want to jump in and solve a problem. If they see that there's an issue somebody's having, they want to solve that for them. But sometimes it takes more processing. Sometimes people need to really figure it out for themselves in a way. Definitely. Um, I'm a part of the Natural Helpers program in my school. Um, It's a program that, it's a group of students that are chosen from a survey, and they're chosen because other students in the school have recognized them as being more compassionate, uh, a person that they can go to if they're experiencing stress or a more intense problem. And during our natural helper trainings, we one thing that's really uh, emphasized is not not necessarily like being the hero, not jumping in to save people, but simply just being there to listen can be really, really important for someone. And listening is actually more challenging than people realize. So tell me a little bit about middle school and what was it about that time that was really difficult for you? Because it sounds like going into from middle school to high school, those first few years were pretty rough. Middle school was an adventure, definitely. It was like 
I mean, any middle schooler, it's like a roller coaster. You're going through all these changes, and even just school things are changing. You're getting more responsibilities, and your work and projects and homework and everything is increasing, and there's a lot more social pressure. Um, so that's just what everyone goes through. And then on top of that, I was definitely dealing with different family issues. I have a brother who has autism, so that, that definitely was something that I was experiencing. And like I said, I was very quiet and I was shy, and I didn't have a lot of friends in middle school. I sort of isolated myself from everyone. And in eighth grade, that's when I really felt outcasted, and that's when my depression started, I think. What was it like for your family to um, to have a child in it with autism? What was it like for you as a sister to have a brother with autism? It's definitely challenging. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that comes along with it. There's a lot of doctor's appointments and medicines, and just daily life itself is can be challenging. Um, he's pretty high-functioning autistic, so... I mean, he can talk, he's very, very verbal, and he's, I mean, everyone's different on the spectrum, and I think uh, kids with special needs, they all have challenges, and there's different challenges with them. I mean, it was hard for us, but it's still, I think it taught me a lot about uh, being understanding of other people. Like, I'm definitely very, very comfortable around people with special needs. And I know a lot of people don't feel comfortable around that. So that's definitely a gift I think I have, that I'm just comfortable with it. And my brother's great. He's, he's very funny. And while he can be very annoying sometimes, he's, you know, he's my brother. So it's great. Hunter, is he older or younger than you? We're actually the same age. Oh, you are? Yes. Okay. I'm a triplet. Well, <laughs> all right. That's interesting, too. Let's talk about that. I have sisters who are twins who are 19 months younger than I am, and I always wondered what that was like to be to be a twin, but to be a triplet, that's even more interesting. Yeah, I mean... I, mean, I guess you never really knew what it was like not to be a triplet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, my brother has autism, so he's definitely uh, mentally a few years younger than me, so... It sort of feels like he's a younger brother. And then my sister, I don't live with her. So, like, I sort of feel like I'm a triplet. It kind of feels more like I'm a twin with my brother since I live with him. But, yeah, it's definitely, it's interesting. And do you find that there are similarities um, amongst the three of you? Or are you more different than you are similar? I think my sister is a lot like my brother. Not that she's special needs, but, I mean, physically she looks more like him. And, um, I don't know, we're, me and my sister are not really that much alike. I mean, I think we're both kind of shy and quiet, but I don't know. I don't really think we have a lot of similarities. So when you were in middle school and you were feeling very outcast and um, almost like you wanted to isolate yourself. Do you have? Were you thinking? You know, I need to to protect myself. I need to, or I don't fit in. Or what was it that caused you to feel like that that outcast? That being an outcast was something that fit you. 
Well, eighth grade was definitely a really confusing time for me. There's a lot of emotions going on, a lot of emotions, and I sort of, I'm not exactly sure what happened. I think I kind of got caught up in my emotions and let them completely take over me. And I got in the mindset that people don't want me here. And so I just sort of kept feeding into that and it spiraled out of control. And you said that you also um, had engaged in some self-harming behavior. Yeah, that was in that was in eighth grade, and it lasted for a few years. But I am over a year clean, so I'm very proud of that. That's really great. Well, I'm asking you all these questions, and I know they're very personal, and I appreciate your answering them. You know, I have older children myself, but I also have an eighth grade girl. And she's very open with me, and I feel like I have good relationships with my kids. But I think it's always different when it's your mother, you know, that you're trying to talk to. So as somebody who has an eighth grade girl, and I know that there are lots of people out there um, who have middle school children, I guess I'm wondering if there's any light that you could shed on on that and how, you know, how you got from um, feeling outcast and feeling anxious and having all these overwhelming emotions to a place where you thought that harming yourself was somehow, um, well, it must have been, it must have fed something in you. It must, it must have done something helpful to you for that period in your life. I know that's a weird thing to say. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get it. Um, it's definitely a short-term release for what you're experiencing, I think. Um, and for me personally, I, sort of just had to do something with my emotions and I didn't know what to do and I actually heard about it online so I thought okay if it's working for other people I'm gonna try it which was kind of sad that I found it online first and then second that other people think that it works for them and maybe it does for like a little bit but in the long term it's it doesn't work at all it's it's really awful so what was the process of you call it getting clean I mm-hmm. mean it sounds almost as if um, it's a similar feeling to maybe some sort of uh, eating more than you should or using some sort of substance or something like that mm-hmm. so getting to a place where you are no longer doing it is a means of like weaning yourself from that what was that like it was an interesting process because you have to, I mean, this goes for any mental illness, you have to want to get better. So I had to go through that first, and that definitely took a while. But once I was in that mindset of, okay, I really want to get better, I want to be happy, I want to be, I sort of at first expected it to happen right away, and that, you know, I'm, I'm going to stop right now and I'm never gonna hurt myself again. It doesn't work like that. It's a process, and there are times when you relapse and you slip up, and it's a pretty awful feeling. And I was really discouraged at first. But then I just kept going at it and kept pushing pushing through, and eventually I just got to that place where I knew that I was not going to do it again. Did you have help during this time? Were there people that you could talk to about this? Definitely. Um, Talking to people has been one of the best things for me. It's been the thing that's probably helped me the most. Um, I definitely had support from a lot of my friends. 
and my school social worker. I'm really close to her, and she's helped me so much with all of that. So definitely, I had a lot of support throughout the whole process. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention, focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit www.theroomsportland.com. We're talking about the things that have been hard in your in your growing up, and we're talking about some of the um, kind of the town background and the family background. But at, at your core, there's something that's very intrinsically you. I mean, you're 17 years old, you're a senior in high school, you're probably, you have some sense of who you are now and what you like to do. And you don't have to, you don't have to know exactly what you want to do next. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you that question. But tell me what, tell me about you. Like when you think of yourself, what do you like to do? What brings you joy? What makes you happy to get up in the morning? Well, something that makes me really happy is knowing that at my age, at 17, I'm making a difference in the world and I'm in my own way helping people just by by my TED talk I mean that helped a lot of people I know that which is really really cool and I also have an Instagram account which I've used for a few years to at first it was like kind of a secret account and I use it because I was struggling with depression at the time and I wanted to connect with other people who are also going through depression and that definitely I realized that even though I was going through something I still had like these ideas of how I could help other people if that makes sense and I knew that that's what I wanted to do because I hated the depression I I felt awful and knowing that so many other people were struggling with it, are struggling with it, is really sad. And I wanted to change that. And even though maybe at the time I couldn't to the best of my ability because I was still struggling with it, I still knew that that was something that I wanted to do in the future. So now it's definitely a big part of my life, just showing people that I care that I'm there for them, and that I'm here to listen, and I understand what some of them are going through. So definitely helping people is, it also helps me, because 
it's just a really, really great feeling when you know that you've impacted someone's life in the most positive way and that you can make them smile and you can make their day better. So you've gone from a shy child, from what you've told me, shy, and maybe still shy, but a shy person who is confident enough to sign up to give a TED Talk, to go through the TED Talk training, because there is training. I didn't sign up for it. Oh, well, tell me about that. <laughs> how, how did you get, how did this happen? Um, it was just one day, uh, my class president, Daniel Menz, and uh, one of the TEDx Youth Club advisor, uh, Betsy Nielsen, they sat me down during a free period and just brought up the question, Do you, are you interested in giving a TED Talk? Um, they had a list of people that they had like as backup, but apparently they all really wanted me to do it. And it was a complete surprise for me. I said yes immediately. I was just thrilled about it, even though at the time I really didn't know how big of an event it was going to be. And it was a surprise, so no one else in the school knew that I was going to be the speaker until, I mean, I'm sure some people figured it out. Um, and then they saw me that day with the mic on, so some people found out, but most people didn't know until they announced me and I walked on stage. So how did the people, how did the class president and how did the TEDx um, group, how did they know about you? Several of them said they followed me on Instagram or they'd heard about my Instagram. So I think that's, I think that's where they um, came up with my name. Most people, when they make an Instagram account, it's all personal. You have the typical sunset photos and the selfies and all that. So people don't use it for their, to express their thoughts that much. So mine's definitely quite different from most people's, but I'm really open on my Instagram and I'll share what's ever on my, on my mind or uh, what I'm going through then. That's an interesting point because I think I just read something recently about how never before have we been called to present ourselves present ourselves as slices to such an extent as we are now, where we're all on Facebook, you're, they, you give a slice of yourself. You represent yourself a certain way. On Instagram, you, you can represent yourself a certain way. In real life, you represent yourself a certain way. But what you're describing is you're trying to be a whole person. Yeah, that's definitely a really that's a cool way of looking at it. And yeah, people only share a small portion of their life on social media. And I think, well, there's a stigma about that. There's a stigma about, I mean, simply just sharing your personal experiences and thoughts. And, I mean, everyone kind of follows the trend. They all post what, you know, people generally post. So, Well, I'm thinking about a couple of, couple of people that I know that have been different from other kids in high school. One of them I'm thinking about was bullied because he was different than other kids in high school. He did all the right things, he played the right sports, but he just had a slightly different way of looking at the world. And other people felt, I guess, threatened by that because they actually physically attacked him at some point. 
And then I'm thinking about another person who's different and has a very different way of looking at the world. And he was he's never been bullied, but he also sometimes feels very alone. Can you relate to either one of those situations? Or do you know people who have been in those situations since you're a natural helper? Yeah, I mean, especially in Cape, people are afraid to be different. They all kind of go with the crowd. There's not a lot of physical bullying in Cape, but I think there is, to some extent, if I can call it, psychological bullying, where there's a lot of cyberbullying online, on apps like Yik Yak especially. People, like I said, people like to talk about each other, but not to their face. It's always behind their back or anonymous online. So people, if they're being bullied, they don't really know who's doing it. And there's um, people get kind of paranoid, I think. They don't want to know who's talking about them, but they don't know. And I mean, it could even be like their best friends, their so-called best friends. So there's, there's a lot of judgment about that. There's you know, people are scared of that. Um, for me personally, I haven't been bullied that much. I've definitely, like in middle school, there are some, I think. Um, not so much in high school. I mean, as far as I know. So I haven't really uh, dealt with that. But I can definitely feel, relate to not really being directly bullied, but feeling ashamed and weird for being different from everyone else. Well, it makes me really, I mean, I know that this happens, but it makes me feel really sad to know that the anonymous bullying is going on. I mean, of course, I'm sure it's always going on that people talked about each other behind their backs, but I guess now it's like there's anonymous bullying, but we can see it. It's kind of weird, I guess. Because I remember when I was in, I think I was in fourth grade, and I was beat up by an older kid and a kid in my class. And I was walking home. And mostly what I felt was, what did I do to deserve this? Like, I felt like I had done something wrong. I was ashamed. I was ashamed of something I didn't even know what it was. And I still, I can, like, go back to that time and feel that. And I think those types of things that happen when you're younger, you, you can carry them with you, even as you become an adult. Obviously, I still remember it. Yeah, that, that part about feeling like it's because of you, not because of the people who are actually bullying you, that's really significant because, you know, you're putting that blame on yourself when you didn't do anything wrong. You're not even thinking that the bullies are wrong in that situation. And that's really sad. And I feel like that's definitely something that still a lot of people a lot of people think when they're being bullied that it's their fault. So as part of your um, coming to understand yourself better and bringing yourself out of depression and helping yourself through the anxiety and stopping the self-harming behavior, have you gotten to a place now where you feel like you know yourself well enough so that if things are going on outside of you, you can say, this is me and that's the, the them and, and I know myself. So say there's other people who are I don't know, victimizing. Just let's pretend that you were being bullied um, and they were victimizing you and they were saying, you know, you are doing something wrong. We think a certain thing about you. Are you would you be able to at this point say, no, that's, that's, that's you, that's on you, that's not on me? 
I think I could. Um, I mean, I'm not sure. I'd like to think I could. In this situation, I feel like it's definitely harder when you're actually experiencing it. Um, but I think I'm definitely strong enough now that, not to say I wasn't strong before, but now I have that um, like sense of self and self-awareness that I feel like I'd be able to stand up for myself and know that I've done nothing wrong. And I think that's what I was getting to, was just that when you go through something and it's so core to you and you have to really understand yourself so well, that when you get out on the other side, you're able to say, you know what, I, I, am, I am who I am and I know myself and I feel good about myself and whatever's going on with other people around me and whatever they're projecting onto me, I'm still who I am. And, and that projection is just not real. Yeah, I definitely think self-awareness is something that I've really, um, I'm proud of myself for knowing, like, when I'm feeling an emotion, I pretty much know exactly what I'm feeling and why I'm feeling it. And I also know that that feeling is going to pass. It's not going to last forever. Maybe I felt that way before, but I know now, like, how to take care of myself when I'm feeling if I'm feeling sad or angry about something, I know what to do to take care of myself and not avoid the emotion, but to push through it and then. Well, I like that. I think that's really important and it's something that a lot of adults, I mean, you're, you're 17, so you're right there anyway, you're pretty much an adult, but I think a lot of much older adults never come to that realization and feel kind of pushed around by their emotions all of their lives. So I think the fact that you can kind of pause and say, like, what's actually going on here and what's my emotion and why is this happening and how can I take care of myself? I think that that's a really important thing to have learned. Yeah, people have always told me that I'm really mature for my age. Like, when I was in middle school, people would say I'm mature. So that's kind of cool knowing that I don't know, I have this, like, self-awareness, and it's sort of interesting, like, sometimes I'll see adults in certain situations, and they they don't have that self-awareness of what they're doing or how to deal with their emotions, and it's just weird knowing that at my age, I have that and they don't. Well, and I think that that's... Um I think that's a really fair point, and I, there are sometimes age doesn't have that much to do with it, really. Sometimes it's just sort of more integral to who you are. You're right. Other people don't always know how to process their own stuff, no matter how old they are. Now that I said it, I realize that it sounds kind of mean. What I mean is that <laughs> I think people will get there eventually. It just maybe it won't happen when they're 17, when they're 21, you know, maybe it'll happen when they're 40 or when they're 60, you know. So I'm not saying that people will never mature, but they will get there just at different times. And I think it depends on what their life has been like and what experiences they've been through. Is there anything that you would say to people who are listening, whether it's uh, maybe a parent who's worried about a child that is in middle school or high school and seems to be struggling, or whether it's a kid who's listening, who is struggling his himself or herself. Is there anything that, any words that you might share that could be helpful? For the parent, I think it's very important to put aside 
the judgment and stigma that people feel about mental illness and depression. And definitely, definitely don't say that it's a phase because it's not a phase and that is the least validating thing you can say to your child. Validating their emotions and feelings is really, really important. And maybe for some parents, they feel helpless because they can't do anything for their child. Maybe their kid isn't talking to them. But just saying that you care and being there and listening is really important. And then if you have to take necessary action if the kid is in danger, I think that's that's important too. Um, just knowing to listen when they're going through it, but to know that if something needs to be done, then they have to do it and not just avoid it or pretend like it's not happening or not take it seriously. For a kid who's struggling with depression, there's a lot of things I could say. Your emotions are valid. That's really important. You know, it's it's not a phase. It's not, it's not looking for attention. That's definitely a big thing. Um, if someone's going through depression, some people will say they're only doing it for attention. It's not for attention. And everyone's experiences are different, but recovery is absolutely possible. And I firmly believe that for everyone, whether the depression is um, biological, genetic, um, from genetics, or whether it's from experiences or whatever, I definitely, definitely believe that it's possible for everyone. Well, I really appreciate your being so honest and open in our conversation. Um, I think you offer a wealth of experience that um, perhaps other people also have but aren't necessarily willing to talk about. This is profound stuff, and it's stuff that happens at every age. So for you to have gone through it uh, when you were younger, I suspect will be very enriching over the course of your life. And I give you so much credit for um, really processing through all of this stuff and being available as a natural helper um, in, at Cape Elizabeth. Yeah, thank you. We've been speaking with Hunter Kent, who is a senior at Cape Elizabeth High School, who recently spoke at TEDx Youth. And um, again, I appreciate your willingness to be with us today. Yeah, thank you. You have been listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 179, Young Maine Voices. Our guests have included Sienna Mazzoni and Hunter Kent. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com and read Hunter's interview in Maine Magazine. Love, Maine Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love, Maine Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter and see my running travel food and wellness photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love, Maine Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love, Maine Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our Young Maine Voices show. Next week, look forward to our conversations with illustrators Scott Nash and Melissa Sweet. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Hardingley Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank.
Love, Maine Radio with Dr. Lisa Belisle is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Susan Grisanti, Kevin Thomas, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Content producer is Kelly Clinton, and our online producer is Ezra Wolfinger. Love, Maine Radio is available for download free on iTunes. See the Love, Maine Radio Facebook page or go to www.lovemainradio.com for details. <laughs>